0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic!
1: Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Danderen shortly, including... All the latest on the Matildas after their thrilling win over Canada, plus a brief update on the Socceroos around the world. But of course, first up in what will be remembered without exaggeration as one of the greatest backs-to-the-wall performances by any Australian team in any sport, the Matildas beat the reigning Olympic gold medalist and one of the pre-tournament favourites Canada in what history will surely record as a defining night for the game in this country, watched by a staggering 2.2 million Australians. With a game of subterfuge cat-and-mouse being played around the fitness of Sam Kerr, a team determined to stay alive and prove they're worthy of their top 10 ranking after an unexpected loss to Nigeria and a manager whose career was on the line. The squad rose to the challenge and blew the Canucks away. And at the same time, it may well have crossed a veritable Rubicon from Australia's favourite team who flattered to deceive over after anchoring themselves as a fixture in the top end of the FIFA rankings to a ruthless, world-class outfit ready to state their claim as one of the world's best over the top, We'll discuss it with one of the country's most respected football voices and friend of the show, ESPN's Joey Lynch. Then we'll take a look at the other side that emerged from the grip of death, the team that experts had marked as a genuine danger despite their lowly ranking of 40, the Super Falcons of Nigeria, who less than a week ago broke Australian football fans' hearts with their charismatic come-from-behind win in Brisbane. This time, they were party to sending home the Canadians alongside of Australia by advancing to the knockout stages. We'll talk to from Abuja, the Nigerian freelance journalist, Samuel Amadou, who we are sure will be super excited about the progression of his nation's women's side. Edge, we're finally able to say we were at a World Cup match together <laughs> and what a World Cup match it was, mate.
2: It was fantastic, wasn't it? Well done, Melbourne. Well done, Melbourne fans. I think uh, you take the uh, the cake as being the most uh, passionate of uh, Matildas fans around the country, um, and, but what about the role of figures Ro-
1: for the rest of the country? I mean, you know, we do have a national audience here, and and uh, a, a, yes, I, I get what you're saying. We can't be too parochial because the rest of Australia is just as in love with the Matildas as we are. But on that night,
2: it was epic. Yes, it might be a parochial opinion, Rob, but I think it's a pretty uh, pretty well. Um, sourced fact, I think the Melbourne fans really did make a difference. Uh, that was the point I was making, um, and and Australian football fans generally, uh, when you compare to South American and and Europe Europeans in particular, and the Africans, we are a little bit passive at times. You know, I've worked at a lot of World Cups, so that wasn't the case at uh, Amy Park on Monday night. It was terrific. But what a roller coaster, Rob! Um, since the last show was recorded, we had the depths of despair with a really disappointing match against uh, Ni- Nigeria. And only four days between games. So, um, albeit there was lots of questions being asked, they were able to um, you know, get back on the park quickly and you're only as good as your last game and they were sensational. I must disagree with you on one point. I think the miracle of Montpellier in 2019 was a bigger result for the Matildas. I, it's strange that you will hear me say this, but I just felt that the pressure that the Matildas were under in 2019 as a result of the fallout associated with Alan Stagic's uh, termination was much greater than the pressure that they faced with the weight of the nation and expectations. That's just my opinion. Having sort of been at two events, I do think that that the the siege mentality and the pressure that was building in uh, in France was much greater. And the you know the miracle of Montpellier, obviously coming from behind against Brazil in that match too, was was a fantastic uh, performance. So I'm not displaying or discounting the four um, nil you know, whitewash of the Canucks, as you say. Um, but I just think um, uh, I think this team's got bigger things ahead of it.
1: Well, that's the point, Edge, and I know we've got to bring Willem in in a moment, but but uh, I, I guess the argument is there, and maybe it's a pub argument we should have for another day because uh, I, I feel like that the story's not yet complete, and, and we'll find out just what happens uh, in, in the rest of this tournament over the coming weeks because eventually, as good as that result in Montpellier was, the Matildas got knocked out. Um, so if this was the, the 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 start of a journey towards the deep end of the tournament, then we might have this conversation. Why don't we let Willem jump in because he's champing at the bit. He wants to get into the detail of all of this and we
3: can keep on talking about it. I think that was the result and more to the point, I mean, the result was critical, but the performance, Rob, I think that's what is going to get the nation and the casuals on board because mm. the uh, the 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 nature of of how they played from from the off your your senior mm. leaders who fall in behind from a publicity perspective they fall in behind Sam Kerr but Catley Ford and Rasso in particular they've all had a real sort of professional understated but determined hunger uh, and the mm. they went two goals up Haley Rasso first half brace the ten minutes they played edge from thirty five minutes to forty five at two goals up was the best I've seen an Australian national side play in you know, that I could recall. I was watching it going, this is just phenomenal the way they knocked it about. They used the whole of the pitch. They were calm, but, um, you know, specific and and sort of incisive. That is the sort of football that your casual who wants to get on the bandwagon and needs to be grabbed by the game and they don't sort of just go to it naturally, will watch and go, I'll be watching next Monday night in Sydney. Uh, look, that was... You, you
2: raise a very good point. There was five or six sequences of play in that time where under real pressure, in real tight situations, they passed the ball through the Canadian uh, lines. And um, it, was, um, it was fantastic to watch. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's enormous amount of um, superlatives can be said about some of these experienced Matildas, um, Caitlin Ford, Stephanie Catley, uh, Haley Rasso, Alana Kennedy, um, you know, they were Katrina Gorey was has been immense in all of the games. Uh, the, the work she's done, she gets she got stood on about ten times yesterday. And they it really works
1: it's too Mackenzie Arnold, she hasn't been everybody's first choice as the custodian, but but that release uh, for the first goal yes, was was, good, was world it? class, wasn't she? Yeah, she it was good. She, it was a laser pass like to the half to almost halfway that set the whole thing out, wasn't it?
2: I still think Mackenzie's the weakest link in the team. I mean, um Canada, they, they they didn't really um, do much yeah. in front of goal that yeah. pressured her. We saw Mackenzie um, do well against Ireland in that last 15 minutes of the opening game. I think McKenzie's Arnold, Mackenzie Arnold's, uh, um, you know, her World Cup's yeah. ahead of her. It's only going to get yeah. tougher for Mackenzie. And uh, she has to stand up. And, and I'm sure um, I hope she doesn't there was have a lot of grind, conjecture. Well, there was a lot of conjecture about Mackenzie's performance, William, wasn't there? About uh, after that second game, I was very critical of the second goal. I went, you know, straight through her hands, um, and obviously, you know, the, the mix-up with Alana Kennedy. There's, you know, a lot of goalkeeping experts said that she yeah. should never have come out in that situation. So, I mean, there's, there's, she could have been fingered for those two goals. It would have been different. But look, we finished top of the group. That's forgotten about Mackenzie um, Arnold's World Cup starts now.
3: The pressure was on in this match because of a just disastrous five minutes against Nigeria. I didn't think they were that bad, but they didn't have the cutting edge. But in you know, the game of football, if it was uh, a game of Aussie rules, rugby league, you could have 10 bad minutes and they would have won on the, on the balance of play. If it was a test match, you could have a bad session, but you'd win the match over the balance of play. But in football, Michael, those five minutes threatened to be uh, the, the undoing and the, the lasting memory and image of this World Cup had they have not gone and done what they did uh, on the Monday night. That was, that was poor. Um, And I want to ask you as well about Gustavsson. Before I do, let's just take a little listen to him at full time uh, in Melbourne.
2: In the press conference yesterday, uh, someone asked us, is this a legacy-defining moment for this team? Is this a crossroad moment? And yes, it was, but we didn't shy away from it. And these players, the way they performed tonight, and then all the talks about Sam and not available or available, and and all the noise outside, and the way they just went out there, folks, play the game, stay true to who they are, the pressing game, the attacking game, we beat Canada Olympic champion 4-0. In a do or die game.
3: No one rides the emotional roller coaster like him. He's maybe not the sort of calm, level-headed leader that some would like in a football manager. How have you how have you seen him? You were critical of him after the uh, the second match in our private conversations, but he then went and got a lot right on Monday night as well. So he really does represent the up and down nature of the side.
2: Well, it was as if he was listening to our <laughs> conversations, Willem, because I was extremely critical of his front. You know, I spoke about it on the podcast last show. I thought playing Caitlin Ford in number in the number nine was a really big mistake. We lost drive and penetration on the left hand side, and we saw the damaging partnership between Catley and Ford. You know, th- we got three goals out of that area of, of the field, and it really, really was um, uh, for me. He got it right this time. You know, I think um, you know taking Vine out of that uh, that combination, putting Caitlin back onto the Left-hand side, Mary in the night. I think it was a, it was it was a big shift in the penetration and cut through that the team could have. So look, and I must admit, um, we've had we've had an incredible build-up to this World Cup and preparation, the amount of camps, friendly matches, and I must admit, I was a little bit perplexed against Nigeria when he um, his first substitution in the 83rd minute was Claire Polkingorn on the field and throw Alana Kennedy as a centre forward. I think that was um, Vince Ruggieri termed it agricultural. Um, yeah, I just think that was extremely disappointing when you had talent on the bench that, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that is the right strategy in that situation. Look, we saw Graham Arnold do it in the Men's World Cup with Harry Suto uh, as well, but I just don't think that was the right thing to do. But look, Tony Gustafson is going to be judged on what's ahead of him now. Um, they finished top of the group. Yeah, we had a bad game against Nigeria, but we had a fabulous game against Canada. So we go in with it now with a lot of momentum and confidence. Um, We don't know who we're going to play yet. We're sort of predicting at the time of recording it could be Denmark. Uh, If it is Denmark, I I think we would enter as favourites. Then it's all about what's next. So Tony Gustafsson's legacy is going to be defined not what we're talking about now. It's going to be what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead.
3: More Matilda shortly with Joey. Before we get there, though, there's been anger at the World Cup's lack of presence on Australian free-to-air television. Lucy Zelich has accused the federal government of a dogged determination to remain stuck in the past. The government's decision not to include the event on its anti-siphoning list means that rights to all 64 matches were acquired by Optus in August 2021. Uh, we've covered this, you know, over the past couple of years as it's, as it's rolled out, but just a refresher, uh, we know then that 15 matches were on sold to the Seven Network. The FIFA Men's World Cup is on the anti-siphoning list. Writing in the nine papers, uh, Zelig bemoaned this inconsistency. And Rob, it was a, a pretty reasonable article, as we've said, or as I've said previously, it can be hard for us to gauge this. We're too close to it. We were always going to be organised and prioritise uh, the ability to, to watch it. But for your general punter, it needs to be maybe enticed a little bit more. It does seem that the balance is out. And I think they needed at least a game a day on free to air, did they not?
1: Look, you could easily argue um, this case very very strongly uh, I, I read Lucy's article I didn't agree with all of it but ultimately the timeline that she set out uh, that would have allowed the, the uh, event to be on the anti siphoning list w- was clear that the government had a choice and they didn't take it they talked up a big game at the time and they uh, and they didn't uh, make the decision so on that point alone I agree however and I know edge you've got opinions on this as well um, it is 2023. Um, I I know the cost of living is very challenging, but uh, you don't need to be that organized to put you to to subscribe to Optus for even one month for 24 bucks if you're not a subscriber and then set yourself an agenda. To, uh, to to cancel your subscription at the end if you really want to watch it all. Uh, you have to have a digital ch- television these days. Everybody's got devices. So I'm just going to put it out there that um, uh, not the fact that that the Matildas uh, uh, shouldn't be um, s- sharing the, the the same pedestal that the Socceroos do, Women's World Cup, men, Men's World Cup, but what is the purpose of the anti-siphoning list these days anyway? So I'm just arguing both cases. Edge... You have a view, Willem, you do what you come off the long run. I, know no, I you're just, just disagree for run.
2: one 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 really important issue is that um, I'm looking at it from the point of view of developing football. We've missed a great opportunity. Now, we all recognise until this point in the recording that the game of the tournament was probably uh, Germany and Colombia. Um, unbelievable game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were talking about it on a chat, Rob, on the WhatsApp chat saying if, you, mm-hmm. if you're not watching Germany and Colombia, get off the sport on. Um so if that had been on free to wear, it probably would have pulled between 600,000 and 700,000 nationally, I would think, um, and it would have converted a lot of viewers to tune into other games because it was so... It, I'm,
1: I'm not disagreeing with you, and, and that's uh, the your with your point, this. but I'm just and saying I, that there's a I made the
2: point in the last podcast that, you know, I've been to these World Cups. Every World Cup I go to around the world, it's every game is on free-to-air in the, ho- mm-hmm. in the host nation to help generate momentum and vibe for the event. Um, And Australia, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got stingy. This is what this is about. It's the government being stingy because when the government puts stuff on the anti-siphoning list, there's a commercial model. The government tips in, okay? That's what it's about. And football deserves better. This is the biggest sporting event for women in the world outside the Olympic Games. It should be on free-to-wear every single game and the government should have paid because that's what host nations do. Brazil did it, France did it, Canada did it, um, South Africa did it, why can't we do it?
3: Rob, i started out on the other side of the argument. I was thinking, you know, just get with the times a touch, just come one or two steps towards this tournament and it will pay you back in spades to, to those who mm-hmm. you know, hadn't mm-hmm. signed up. But the more I've been speaking to people on the ground, at work, wherever, people just Will not do it if it's not on free to air. They just won't watch. So, yeah,
1: you know. yeah. Look, I, I, I'm hearing what you both saying you know, and and I don't want to sound elitist at all. Um, so, you know, it's and, and there's been plenty of people saying, you know, where is the tournament and where can I watch it, and they don't understand. We've got to educate them. So, so I'm just setting out both sides of the story.
3: No, couldn't agree with you. Uh, no, good debate, um, and it, it's frustrating because if people do just take one or two steps towards it, um, it is you know it's excellent, but it's, it's flying by for a lot of people and. Um, yeah, maybe it is going to take that Matilda's role to uh, to get people to, to wake up to it. Quick look at Socceroos, uh, Socceroos Central for the Green and Gold Army. Would you believe European football seasons have already commenced in uh, some parts of the world? Geordie Boss has made his debut for Belgian side Westerlo, playing 90 minutes against Jason Davidson uh, and KS Upen. Aidan O'Neill also made his debut for Standard Liège, playing 90 minutes in midfield. And good news for you, Edge, one of your favourites, the Boiler. Martin Boyle's taken the pitch for the first time since that ACL injury that cost him uh, his World Cup. The chief vibes officer in Qatar he was. He, was. Uh, he played for Hibbs in a pre-season loss to Blackpool, He Rob. burnt down
2: his father's kitchen when he was three years old, Martin Boyle. So anybody who does that,
1: he's got to be a good bloke. Okay. Um, maybe we should talk about what the logic is of that point. Well, he's, get off he's here, got, a of, got a bit of passionate spirit. Did. The obvious, yeah, burning the obvious the house. point is... Um, When you're a parent,
2: don't give a kid matches.
1: Yeah, good point. Okay, all right. Uh, Look, we can always rely on you to take something down a different tangent and you've just done it again. All right, Uh, I'll tell you what tangent we won't be going uh, to avoid after this break is a conversation with our mate from ESPN, Joey Lynch. Uh, we've already talked heaps about it uh, so far. We're going to talk even more about it. It was a night of nights. I want to see what Joey thinks and, and where he ranks this in, in the all-time great, not just football uh, stratosphere of Australian sports. Uh, 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 football, but uh, but the whole uh, gamut of, of sport itself. So stick around. Uh, a great chat with uh, the authority on, on women's football in this country from ESPN, Joey Lynch.
0: Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, we're still out of breath from the events of the Melbourne Rectangular Stadium. Amy Park, if you like, where the Matildas, the ultimate backs to the wall recovery to advance to the round of 16 to the knockout stages when many experts said that they couldn't make it the team and the manager Tony Gustafsson believed and a man who was there with edge and I at the stadium, the 27 and a half odd thousand, a good friend from ESPN Joey Lynch. How are you Joey?
0: I'm going very well. Yes. Still recovering from the, that, that results and everything that transpired and it's aftermath and the tournament, well, it continues to deliver moments, doesn't it?
1: Is it going a little over the top to suggest that this already, regardless of what the Matildas do, uh, this coming Monday, and for God forbid, the rest of the tournament, one of the great sporting moments of Australian history. History, um,
0: oh, I'd have to maybe defer Back to, the wall. to uh, backs to the wall. It's, it's certainly a great moment in um, Australian footballing history. Mm. Um, I would have to say a famous moment. And now, of course, it's probably a bit too early to say if they go out and well, look, out in the round of 16, they're likely to face off with um, possibly the Chinese or the Danes. If they get beaten 3-0 or 4-0 by the Danes or the Chinese next time out, it'll probably take a bit of the lustre off things. But for one night, at least, it certainly was... uh, I I think I described it as sort of like... It felt like everybody attached to this team collectively exhaled as one. The players, the staff, the fans everybody that's been following along with this team for the past, well, especially the past three years since Gustafson took over and the Home World Cup was awarded, that they were staring into the abyss of a group stage elimination, um, becoming just the second ever host nation to go out in the group stages, and that's only because North, um, New Zealand played the day before. To pull it back from there, it just felt like a, a unified, collective wave of just relief, um, just – and then giving way to joy, spreading over everybody when that – well, pretty much when the go, when the third goal went in, let alone the fourth mm. and the final whistle actually went. Mm. A moment of catharsis, I yep. would say, for everybody in attendance.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. Michael and I have already talked about this earlier on in the show. We sat together and it was just that spontaneous uh, – Exhalation and, and joy—the reaction to all the goals. I—I I know uh, my own feeling. The third goal went in, and I, I wasn't sure whether to react. I felt a bit like Mary Fowler uh, with all those VAR decisions uh, going around, and uh, and uh, you know just to reflect on on where this uh, result sits in the pantheon. Uh, my thinking on it is that the consequences of failure were, were so uh, severe that uh, that the the performance and the you know, winning was the only option outcome, and against the, uh, the 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 you know the might of the reigning gold medalist, seven in the world, uh, you know, who had come into the tournament as a, as, a, as a, um, a, a a genuine chance of winning the whole thing, but to the point. The night itself, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about the elephant in the room from the top, Sam Kerr. Uh, It it did appear that she was capable of spending minutes on the ground. Um, We all saw that she didn't warm up at any point during the game. Uh, For you, was that uh, chicanery, subterfuge or, you know, just downright shithousery or was it legit? I.
0: To be honest, at this point, it doesn't matter. They didn't mm. need her. Uh, mm. The, the mm. game was basically over in the ninth minute, um, in my opinion, as soon as Haley Ross, got the goal and shifted the game state. I mean, we can talk about that in seconds, but, like, Uh, to paraphrase Bob Catter, I'm not going to spend any time on it. Uh, We didn't need uh, to, you know, break glass, break the Kerr-shaped glass in in a time of emergency and bring her out. So it it was the best case scenario. She would have been thrown on, I think, late if they needed a goal purely because so much has been built up around this. And I think Sam Kerr herself um, would have forced her way onto the field if it looked like Australia Mm -hmm. was about to be Eliminators, uh in the group stage of a home World Cup without her contributing but we didn't need to uh, we didn't need we don't we didn't need to cross that bridge and
2: now she gets an extra week to recover before the round of 16. Joey Island was an ugly win in my opinion Nigeria was uh, all, all very disastrous um, I didn't see this coming did you see it coming they were simply superb uh, it was a big form turnaround what do you put it down to they
0: scored first um, and they scored early. I mean, I, I I think I wasn't predicting this to happen, but I, I, I remember I went on 3AW before the game started and what I said was the Matildas needed to score early to shift the game state and that's exactly what we did. What I think we saw in this game against the Canadians was what the Matildas are at their best when the game state favors them. And when I say game state, I mean the circumstances around the game, which dictate the approach of the two teams. We saw just how good they can be in those circumstances. They got that early goal. And the second they got that early goal on the live group, they went top. Canada was suddenly third on, on their way home. And all of a sudden the onus was back on Canada. It was now they that were go- that uh, they had to force the issue, they had to take the game on and they had to get something out of it. And that perfectly plays into the strength of the Matildas. We saw in the game against Ireland and the game against Nigeria, it was the Matildas who they had the ball. They the onus was on them, they were making a go of it, they were dominating possession and we saw how they struggled to create high-quality looks on the goal. Here in this game against Canada, they got the early goal. They were able to get into their rhythm. Canada took on the majority of possession, and they were able to pick their moments, to burst forward, pick their moments to try to find a way through the Canadian defence, and we saw the outcome. I think I was looking at the stats, What like, I think the game ended with the Matildas only having thirty-three percent of the game's uncontested possession versus forty-eight percent for the Canadians. Um and I remember at one point when it was still 3-0, um FIFA has this data platform where you can where they break down the different types of possession that two teams are having during the game. And at one point during the game when it was 3-0, 33% of the Matilda's time spent in possession had been spent in transition, that suits them to a T. They will rip any team in the world if they are able to just pin their ears back and play like that. I mean, if they can, you know, play like that the rest of the tournament, you know, Brev Priestman talked about them getting to the semi-finals. They absolutely can do that because that suits them to an absolute T and we saw it play out against Canada.
2: I was critical of the decision to play Courtney Vine in the first two matches in, the, in that position on the left-hand side. And uh, I really felt the team lost a lot of its uh, potency by having Caitlin Ford play centrally. So we saw that front third mix change. We saw Ford back on the left, Rasso on the right. They seemed to push Mary Fowler forward, which I think was good. Emily Van Igmond in the 10. That Those four players seemed to seemed to... To create a lot of drive but one player that continually um she just gets better every game in this in this world cup tournament is steph catley and her forward movement right from the word go was was very impressive what about the combination of catley and ford on the left hand side do you agree that um if tony gustafson plays caitlin ford as number nine again we should sack him
0: um I'm not going to touch on the Gustafsson thing, but I think you're exactly I'm right joking. with Catley. <laughs> yeah. but I think you're exactly right with Catley. I, I mean, I'm writing an article about this for um, ESPN. I think she was immense on the night, uh, both in terms of her performance, but also the leadership that she's taken on very quietly whilst everybody's been focusing on will she play or won't she play in Samco's calf. Steph Catley has taken on the captaincy of this team in very trying circumstances. A hell of a lot of pressure on this team as well. Um, and she's really lifted to that, I think. It was her penalty against Ireland. She stepped up and drilled it. She got It was fantastic to see her get another penalty against um, uh, Canada and convert that in front of her hometown crowd. But when you look at that combination with Caitlin Ford, again, I'm going to go back to the FIFA data platform. I was breaking it down after the game, and from memory... It gives you a breakdown of where the various line breaks were um, throughout the game, what positions they came from. For the Matildas, 99 line breaks came to came from the left side of the of the middle of the pitch, of the center of the pitch. 14 down the right in comparison. So that shows you just how fruitful that left side of the pitch was for the Matildas as they were trying to break through lines. A lot of that, of course, involves the midfield as well. Katrina Gari continues to be an absolute unicorn and one of the most important, possibly the most important players in how this entire team goes. But that left flank as well, that combination between Catley and Ford, um, the Arsenal connection, such a massive role as well.
2: And Joey, um, Gustafson said it takes 23 to win 23. Um, he's not used... Uh, his depth in the squad much at all. I, I was getting a bit concerned about uh, some of the minutes that the key players are playing. I know we've got a, a week now to recover before the next game, uh, but what do you think about um, the minutes that Chidiak has had? Should she have played a little bit more? Um, Yallop must be nearly ready. Um, and, and what about where Courtney Vine sits for the for the next game and the rest of the tournament? What What are your thoughts on those? Those little tidbits, Chidiak,
0: I would have absolutely um, played more in the opening games, particularly because, in my estimation, if you're going to if you're going into a game knowing that you're going to have more of the ball, um, you you should really be considering starting Chidiac next to Katrina Gori because of the way that she plays the game. She wants the ball in tight. She's able to move around. She's willing to. Um, advance up the field with the ball, break lines with the ball, play risky passes. Um, I think she's suited to um, playing in a team that will have more possession. Um, And I think in the games against uh, Ireland and Nigeria, as the Matildas continued to struggle to break down an embedded defensive block, that was the moment for her. Um, I think it was sort of inevitable in this game against Canada, the way that the game turned in. Uh, that it did, that we weren't going to see Alex Chidiak in this game. Um, horses for courses, the, based upon what Tony Gustafson has said about game changes and the like, I can see that. Um, Courtney Vine, oh, it, it is, she didn't have the best of games in either of the opening uh, two contests. I mean, neither did Hayley Raso, albeit Hayley Raso had you know, a great game against Canada, popping up with her goals. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be very difficult to see how Vine just gets back into this team. Like, because, I mean, if you, who are you dropping for her in the round of 16 at this point, especially given that Kerr might be coming back as well? Um, you're not dropping Ford. You're not dropping Mary Fowler. You're not dropping Rasso. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can potentially shift forward, back into players, maybe a 10 or the 9, um, switch with Fowler and put Vine out wide. But I doubt he, Tony Gustafson is benching Emily van Egmond, um at the moment either. So it, it, even if her, it's a combination of one, her form in the first two games didn't really say enough to justify forcing her way back into the team for around the 16 game when they played the way that they did against Canada. Um, And yeah, just nobody, yeah, against Canada, nobody really dropped a bad enough performance to justify it either.
1: So Joey, in light of everything we've seen and what we've said, do you see this as a? I mentioned off the top of the show a sort of a crossing of the Rubicon for the Matildas. They've they've flattered to deceive for for many years now. Uh, sometimes they've shot themselves in the foot. Sometimes they're just downright underperformed. Other times they've done well, and we've thought, you know, this top ten position in the FIFA world rankings is not a uh, an illusion after all. Are we seeing a team that um, that now? has possessed the self-belief that's required for a champion to, to go all the way and truly uh, become one of the great sites.
0: I think they've got the belief. I think to be honest, when you, when you talk about crossing the Rubicon, I think this performance was always there. It was just, no, as I said before, it was the circumstances of the game allowed them to play that way. Like, they have, you know, we've seen great performances from them at times throughout the Gustafsson tenure. And then when you look at the circumstances of those games, you can see why. Like you talk about them as a top 10 team. When the Matildas are able to play the way that they did last night, the circumstances allow them to. They are absolutely, um, are a top 10 team. I mean, the argument can be made that, you know, when they're able to pin their ears back like they were and go at an opposition in those sort of circumstances, they're a top three side in the Mm. world it's Mm. just that you can't the problem is if the game state isn't like that that's when we see the problems so it's like they're absolutely a top 10 team top five team when the game state suits them they're probably not a top 10 team when they are forced to you know into a game state like they were against the irish and nigeria so um Is it a crossing of the Rubicon? I don't think it is in the sense that this was always within them, just like the performances against Nigeria and Ireland were always within them. So can they win the World Cup? Yeah, if circumstances allow them to. They absolutely, at their best, can win a World Cup playing the way that they do. Can they crash out in the round of 16 in disastrous, humiliating fashion? Absolutely, if the circumstances work against them. They're just that sort of team. And I mean, when you look at the way that this World Cup has gone outside of maybe Japan, every team sort of feels like it is that way. That if circumstances break that way, there's maybe 10 teams, 8 to 10 teams that can play great football and can potentially win a World Cup. But they've also all got massive weaknesses that if the game goes against them and they can't play the way that they want to, they can easily be bundled out. It feels like one of those tournaments. It's massively open and every team, and there are circumstances that will allow so many teams to win and so many teams to lose.
1: Mm, Yeah, exactly. And, and, And we do have to also take into consideration... All of the circumstances around the opposition um, that uh, that Canada had had a lot of disruption off the field with the, the players fighting with the federation. That they didn't bring along a Colombian crowd or a Japanese crowd or a, a, a one that we've seen hijack home ties in the past on so many occasions. They uh, they cheered, but they were cheering uh, as best they could against the might of the rest of the stadium. So so there was no way in the world that they were going to be able to counter uh, that temperature that the, that the that the home fans bought we may well and most likely will if we go deep but face a scenario like that Joey
0: um it yeah it will uh, be very different in the final stages but I also do want to touch on something you said there that crowd in Melbourne I absolutely think that crowd this isn't just me I, I like to play a character on social media with my Melbourne love it's it, it's very much a you know it's a character it's a pro wrestling type character but um pro Melbourne but Me being sincere, I do absolutely think that that Melbourne crowd played a factor um, last night. The intimate surrounds of Amy Park, the noise that was there, I genuinely do think it got in the heads of the Canadians. I genuinely do think it played a role in the Matildas starting with the energy and the fire that they did and getting that crucial early goal. So maybe that can be a sign. Um, uh, The Matildas are now... While well, they're off to Stadium Australia for the round of sixteen, there's going to be fifty thousand more fans in that stadium than there were in Amy Park, but they're going to be further away from the pitch. So who knows? But I think mm. this team, that the game in Melbourne especially, has shown that as part of the circumstances of the game, that when the Matildas are very capable of riding a home crowd and. Who knows, maybe if the maybe that can be a factor if they are playing a Colombia or a Japan, maybe it comes down to a battle of the fans, maybe, that will mm. provide that little one percent that allows their team to pick up the win.
1: Yeah, well, as we record uh, as podcasts, the nature of podcasts are, we we don't know who Australia's playing. It's likely to be Denmark. Hopefully we can reprise the Denmark result against uh, uh, that nation in Qatar and and have a famous victory. It could be England. It could even be China uh, as we speak. But as you're listening to this podcast, you'll know. Joey, thanks again for your time. Uh, You're always super generous, mate. Hopefully we'll get to talk again uh, during the rest of the tournament uh, uh, if the Matildas do manage to progress.
0: Excellent. Thank you, for, thank you for having me, guys. Always a pleasure.
1: No worries, Joey Lynch from right. ESPN. Okay, stick around. After the break, we are going to talk to Samuel Amadou. And now, who would have thought that we were going to be having a conversation with a Nigerian football journalist? Uh, but we all did, all of the pundits, the fans... Predicted that this was the group of death, and group of death proved for Canada, and uh, to a slightly lesser extent the Republic of Ireland and its Nigeria that go through. It'll be interesting to just see how Samuel interprets what they've done so far, and and where he thinks they can go next on box to box. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, do you think the Matildas got their uh, their energy from uh, just purely natural sources, or do you think that they, they got themselves some supplements from, from Chemist Warehouse uh, and, and pumped themselves up before
3: the big game? Well, you know what? I think they took Rob. What do you think? Oh, of course. Tell us one. Boost capsules for ten ninety nine in a, an assortment of flavours. Absolutely,
1: of course. The Boost capsules, and it's, of course, it's all natural stuff. As we're talking, you don't. Uh, if anyone's uh, thinking anything otherwise, they uh, they're going down the wrong path because Chemist Warehouse has got all the protein, all the right stuff to uh, to make you sure you're fit and healthy if you're training. Right now, though, you can get half price off BioGland vitamins. There's BioGland Active Magnesium PM Night Formula, sixty tablets for fifteen forty nine each. The girls might need a bit of that to help them get to sleep after the excitement. Of, uh, of the Canada win, and uh, if they get over Denmark or England or China or who happens to be,
2: absolutely. I mean, uh, we all needed to calm down after Monday night. Robert was, it uh, yeah. was spectacular. That biogland stuff you're talking about is good.
1: Gear. It is, it sure is Biogland Red Krill Oil, active joints for the creaky joints for the old footballer uh, that you are. Edge 60 capsules 2174. BioGland curcumin double strength 70 tablets 4397. That's the really strong active ingredient in turmeric. You've really got to get a hold of that. Just to supplement your pain relief if you, you know if you suffer from ongoing pain, chronic pain, that sort of thing, curcumin is magnificent for it. it excludes bulk sizes. Remember, in addition to visiting your local chemist warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time. Or choose fast delivery for same day home delivery. These and season charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every single day.
0: Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices,
3: changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Just days out from the Women's World Cup. Nigeria's footballers threatened a boycott against a federation they perceived to have failed to support them, while the federation themselves were considering dismissing manager Randy Waldrum. Two weeks later, the Super Falcons have both shocked the Matildas and progressed to the last 16 at the expense of Olympic gold medalists Canada, and a round of 16 clash awaits on Sunday in Brisbane. To discuss this rather extreme fortnight, it's a pleasure to welcome in freelance Nigerian football writer Samuel Amadou, who we find in Abuja. Samuel, welcome to Box to Box.
4: Yeah thanks for having me Shasha it's a pleasure being part of this uh interaction.
3: Now Nigeria have a long history at the Women's World Cup they've featured at all nine tournaments to this point but the win against the Matildas in Brisbane was just the fifth uh from 29 matches all up. So given the lead in that I just discussed with the issues with the with the federation and the manager what did that 3-2 win mean against the odds and the crowd uh to the nation?
4: Yeah realistically I think uh, whatever had happened before now definitely was Surely uh, not imagined, but no doubt a lot has been put in from the federations and also uh, from the quality of players we've also sourced. You know, when you look at this team, uh, they only just came in together a couple of years ago, just two years, a little over two years, and uh, around the world. Drum coming in, you know, here Nigeria had a lot of high expectations, and uh, seeing what played out, especially at the Women's African Cup of Nations, everyone was left uh, disappointed. It's uh, practically was uh, our worst competition in the in the in the history of Nigeria, taking part in the Women's African Cup of Nations. So having gone to such a tournament, not winning, uh, not winning it, and uh, not retaining the title, and also losing three games, uh, they were just uh, might be that for Nigerians to raise eyebrows. Not just the federation, Nigerians were not too pleased, and I think this snowballing to where uh, you have so much uh, negative reactions, so much disaffection with the coach from the Nigerian public. And, uh, but realistically, the Nigerian Football Federation has also stood with the coach through the thin and thick. Uh, if you could recall, before now, uh, before Randy took over, we had limited playing football chances, international games. Uh, we had just very string, uh, quite a very few number of games. But uh, before where Randy took over, before the Nations Cup, we had uh, close to 15 matches. This is all in the build ups to the World Cup. And you know the Nations Cup is also the Women's Cup of Nation is also part of the World Cup uh, World Cup qualification tournament. So, uh, and after that we played eight uh, international friendlies uh, against six World Cup bound teams and this is also a record uh competitive appearance for Nigeria in history of the team we never had it such good in terms of preparation. But again I think what was lacking uh, possibly, possibly what instigated the, the, the reaction of Randy is probably the poor communication uh, with the federation and also uh, the 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 challenge of getting players to camp, which was practically impossible. You know, players play in Europe, a lot of leagues are on, it's practically impossible for you to get uh, some of these players into the camp as much earlier as you expect going to the women's Club of nation. So I think uh, some of this poor communication definitely must have snowballed into the reaction of Randy and also Uh, the back and forth between him and the Federation, but realistically uh, on the field of play, I think it was going on well and I think uh, we had little or nothing to worry about and also in terms of quality, we've also diligently took time out to uh, build up this team, you know, it wasn't just Randy's doing alone, a lot of individuals behind the scene were also trying to see how best we can bring in some of our best players born abroad and also some of those are raised from the home front, so I think it's it hasn't been perfect, no doubt, not, not ignoring the aspect of uh, poor salary payment. I think that hasn't been a news. It's been consistently a big challenge within the Nigerian Football Federation. We want the best for our national team. We want the country to go for And we believe we can't do better beyond, beyond looking at having uh, expatriates, coming to bring value into the team. And I think this is where Randy came in handy. So I think uh, some of these challenges are obviously there but not ignoring the factor that yes, this shouldn't be. Uh, But for a developing country like Nigeria, uh, you never can ignore such uh, inconsistency, which definitely is something clouding, uh, something that has also impeded our success at the global stage. So I think uh, the success uh, we've seen so far, it's not a surprise for me, but I believe it's what we have anticipated long before now because of the quality of talent we have in our team. This is a team make up of uh, no fewer than 21 professional players who are playing in the top leagues in the, in Europe and also uh, in America. And you can't ignore players who plays in Rossegan. These are the champions of Sweden. Players who played in, in, in Reims. These are the top six teams in France. Uh, or you talk of Paris FC. It's a Champions League team like Chiamaka. So we are players who play in some of the top teams in Europe. And you can't ignore not of our looking at Doshwala, who is also currently an European chairman. So you can't come with a team with such a hot prospect, with such talented players, and you don't think you won't achieve better. We only look on the side of uh, probably tactics, probably on the side of coaching, that how do you blend these talents? How do you blend some of these qualities? And this has been probably the bane of conversation. This has also been the struggle, and this has also been a fear of Nigerians, and also the federation of, why do we Look to come short when we have some of these So I think it is this kind of situation we're seeing, and I think it's just no surprise. The Nigeria has really done well, and you know the game against Australia for me, I think uh, it's it's also to an extent not a surprise. A team without some care. she's practically the, the 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 image maker of the team. She's practically the superstar of the team. She's practically uh, the, the the major uh galvanizing factor, a, a major team player. And her absence definitely played a toll on the on, on the on the poor performance of of Australia from the opening two games. I think it's it was a disappointment for me seeing Australia play that way uh, because I saw I watched Australia live in Canada 2015. I watched them defeat Nigeria uh, and speaking to our guests after that game in Winnipeg, uh, in Canada, I was. I, I really felt like, wow, this is a very tactical team, a team that has prospect. And back then, you know, that was eight years ago, most of the players from, from Australia were practically home-based players, were dominated by home-based players. Now, they are all European-based. They are all are playing abroad. So this is what has happened. And this is the same happening to Nigeria. Nigeria, too, had almost all their players uh, playing on the local scene. But now, practically all the players in the squad are all are foreign-based players. So I think it's, it's to show that the game is evolving, our players are moving, our players are gaining eyeballs playing abroad. And I think as much as we, we, we crave to see the Samikas, the talented players in the Australian team, we also have the Assisalusuala to boast of the Chama Nandozi. So, so much talent across the player. I think this speaks to the fact that the game is evolving. Uh, women's football globally, not just Africa or Europe, uh, has come of age. We just saw uh, the Portugal-US uh, game. US being held uh, to, to to a goalless draw, it's unprecedented. And this is a deputant coming to pull that. So it shows the game has evolved and Nigeria has come of age. We want to show the world that, yes, we are just beyond just playing and getting to the group stages and go back home, especially competing on our night's appearance.
2: Samuel, that's, I love the passion. It's absolutely <laughs> sensational. We're loving. Uh, I'm not sure whether you're aware, Samuel, but in Australia, there's 13,000 Australian-Nigerians. In other words, Nigerians, Australians that were born in Nigeria that live in Australia. And many, many of them have been getting to the Games. Um, tell us about um, the reaction back home to Nigeria qualifying for the Round of 16. Um, and just, uh, you, you know, you, you actually spoke about, um, obviously, the tumultuous lead-up to the event, but now the event is here and Nigeria has made it through to the round of 16. Um, has there been any sort of commentary back home about the number of Nigerians in the crowd uh, at the games and also in particular? Just tell us about um, how the news of Nigeria getting through to the round 16 has been received in the streets of Lagos or Abuja where you are.
4: Yeah, realistically, I think it's a, it's been excitement. It's been a, something of a joy uh, across Nigeria and the, the disappointing fact it may be uh, not having most of the nigerian supporter getting to travel to to australia but uh we we've have massive presence of nigerian pre- nigerian uh, supporters nigerian based in australia and probably nigerian from all the parts of the world uh, being present in australia and it's exciting that uh the no, the, the support has not diminished uh just imagine having such a massive presence of nigerians in australia uh, we we never had we've never had this Uh, low turnouts. You know, if you remember Sydney 2000, Nigeria also had such a massive presence uh, for, for, for the Olympics. And I think this tells you that wherever you go, Nigerians are there and the presence is never going to Going to go not diminish you the vibes, the music, the the excitement, the celebration, the noise. It's always a factor, and it's a major uh, reason why Nigeria globally will always turn the eye. So I think on the on on the home scene, uh, we we are seeing so much a celebration, no doubt. You know, one everyone in Nigeria is shocked. Uh, why? Because nobody gave this team a chance, especially uh, looking at how uh, things has turned out. The the issues that has erupted between the coach and the federation and. The, the, the performers also at the last tournament they did participate and that is the Women's Cup of Nations. So, uh, the streets of Lagos, the streets of Abuja has been has has really been uh, a. a- Crowded with so much celebration, everyone seemed to have been uh, motivated by the passion, by the performance of these girls. Uh, you can't ignore the fact that our super Eagles couldn't qualify for the last World Cup in Qatar, and this somewhat has lowered the expectation and also made everyone lose interest in football. But uh, with the ex- with the excellent performance of the girls, it has revived uh, the, the it has revived the, the the support of the fans. It has also given so many uh, much belief that yes. The women's football is of age. Nigeria is back to challenge on the global scale and also the future choice proud for Nigeria women's football and not just for Nigeria women's football, for, for also for Africa because it's not longer Nigeria's uh, success. It's now an African success, looking to be the only uh, team to have advanced to the knockout stages already.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, it's not a surprise to me that Nigeria has done well. I mean, Um, knowing African women's football like I did, 11 of the last 14 women's African Cups have been won by Nigeria, the Super Falcons. You are the superpower of African football, and you do carry the hopes of many African nations in this tournament. How far can your team go? There's been a little bit of conjecture about your star striker, Oshola. She might be carrying a little injury. Um, What's the, you know, we're all using a crystal ball, aren't we, Samuel? We're thinking that you're probably going to play England in, uh, in, the, in the round of 16. That's yet to be decided as we record this. You know, how far can this team go? Um, once before, in nine, uh, 1999, you made the quarterfinals and uh, African teams haven't uh, regularly figured in the pointy end of the tournament. So can this team write some history?
4: Yeah, for, for writing history, I think uh, the, the interesting parts about Nigeria... Which many do relate with is when you look back at what those periods we've had successes on the global stages are recalling. Most importantly and most popularly, the 1994 uh, USA, you know, when Nigeria won the Olympics, the first and only African side to have achieved such a feat, uh, it speaks volume that nobody going to such a tournament gave Nigeria a chance. And the interesting part of it is uh, we always know best. Uh, how to turn up when it is the toughest and this is it we, we always know how to do it better when it's even the hardest you look at a group it was time the group of deaths so imagine Nigeria even go out of the group without a defeat. it speaks volume about the potential in the team it speaks volume about the quality of talent the determination and the unity in the team and it's not a team built around a single player when you look at the game against Australia uh, since i didn't start that game to so imagine that probably nigeria will have come short. the players on the bench are massive talent yet to even uh, get regular playing opportunity and these are players playing in some of the best leagues best teams in europe so i think the the, the, the opportunity is quite wide open uh no no anyone who wants to trick Nigeria like a newcomer or a newbie definitely will be doing that at their, at their own peril so i think it is an open shot Anything could happen. And this is it. Nigeria will always want to give surprises to the world. And what they've started is already giving some sort of insights. Uh, we just couldn't win against Ireland. While we know it's a difficult game, a team that is out definitely uh, will want to do a kind of a spoiler job. And this is why we really did what was necessary, getting the results that was needed to go through to the next round. We, we have no worry about which team we're going to meet. And I think the coaches, the players are fully aware Of the challenge ahead and understand the fact that we have players who play in England, just like, uh, you know, Ashley Plumter. We also know pretty well what we are going to come up with and uh, what we'll be coming up against. And this is where we would want to do everything possible to ensure we get our acts right and actually ensure we get the best of results against either England, Denmark or whatever team that comes up.
3: Samuel, everyone loves the passion and the vibe that Nigeria bring to the World Cup. And I think now that the Matildas are through uh, the group, everyone in Australia is probably pretty happy that it is Nigeria going through with us as well. So thank you for bringing your passion uh, to box to box. And we wish you all the best for whoever you do come up against uh, in the round of 16.
4: Thank you very much for for the opportunity. It's really an exciting one having this conversation and I hope uh, we can get to cheer Nigeria all the way through to the finals.
3: And if you uh, if you do go through to the finals, we would love you to uh, to have you back on the program. Samuel Amadou from Abuja, there a real ple- pleasure to uh, to have you on the program.
4: Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot.
3: Stick around on the other side of the break. Still time for some women's World Cup corner.
4: Well, well, well,
3: well. Oh, wait! Well, You've stolen my thunder.
1: Everybody's going to buy Hoyt spices. after the show, uh, as we record this evening. Now, if I said to you, here's some ingredients, make a meal out of it. A potato. A zucchini and an onion. Do you reckon you could make, and a couple of eggs. Do you reckon you oh, could make a nice meal out of that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. A, a frittata with lots of, of herbs, sorts of spices. I, I put a bit well of done. chili in, a bit of uh, turmeric. I'm impressed.
3: I, I, He's done I would, well.
2: I would do all of that. Um, yeah,
1: I, did, I did not set this up. That's what I'm having, because I've already diced the, uh, um, the potato, the zucchini and the onion. I've got the eggs there, but some dried parsley some paprika some cayenne pepper for a bit of bite a bit of chili powder not too much onion salt garlic powder obviously olive oil to pull it all together willem does that sound good to you
3: sounds pretty good good to hear our boys growing up rob he's got the uh got the cookbook in his brain I know. i can't
1: believe it i didn't even i mean if you're listening to this and you think that i'd set edge up i um i did not at all he had it ready to go so you fry off the onion in the olive oil get the potato in there and just cook that fry it off a little bit not too hot and then, uh, and then you get the spices in there and get that mixture up and then bring the zucchini in, get that cooking, and then a couple of eggs late, get some nice sourdough bread. Mate, it's a meal fit for a king.
2: I tell you what, we like to eat, and eating is a lot better with hot herbs and spices, Rob.
1: It absolutely is. So get into your local wars, your local Coles, all those spices I just talked about are there. A good independent supermarket. Hoyt's changes in the mood of food. Wella, wella, wella. Everybody's Everybody's buying Hoyt's spices. Yes, this is Box to Box, Well, World Cup corner. I mean, I guess there's four corners uh, to any uh, football field and uh, we've covered uh, every uh, single angle and the other three so far. We're going to wrap it up now. What a great chat it was with Samuel Amadou live from Abuja. Uh, what an enthusiastic, passionate man he was and a fantastic representative of the Nigerian football uh, uh, nation and uh, Joey Lynch never lets you down, guys. Uh, like well, we could we could talk for another hour. Um, we are going to drop uh, a special edition of Stoppage Time later in the week. Um, this edition of, of the main show has come out a day late because of obviously the Matildas match was on a Monday night. So what we've decided to do is to is to uh, record Stoppage Time after the group stage is finished. So we're going to throw the format out the window and review the tournament to date and look ahead to the uh, to the knockout matches. So uh, uh, so look out for that in your inboxes late this coming Friday, that stoppage time special World Cup uh, uh, end of the the group stage and look ahead to the uh, the knockout phase. So Willem, what uh, what have you got for us to, to bring us home? Man?
3: Yeah, one of the good things about the expanded Women's World Cup is that we've seen a number of firsts over the past week and I suppose that speaks more broadly to just women's football. I mean, as the, uh, as the game grows, we're going to see records broken and history made and a few nations have done that. Zambia have left the tournament with their first goals And their first win after a 3-1 defeat of Costa Rica. That's maybe a little bit uh, symmetrical, I guess. Uh, I I thought of the Socceroos and their first uh, win at a World Cup being uh, 3-1. So they did the Costa Ricans by that uh, scoreline. They were representing their nation at a World Cup for the first time of either gender. uh, And Edge, the Copper Queens, came in as the tournament's lowest ranked side and were treated as such in their first couple of games, 5-0, 5-0 against Spain and Japan, but then turned it around. Lushomo Mwiba uh, put the nation on the board with a, a cracking finish and then further goals from Barbara Banda and Rachel Kunandangi. Uh, and that is a first win for Zambia.
2: Yeah, look, fantastic. I mean, some, I mean Zambia um, had a great women's uh, African-Asian Cup and uh, they've um, made their mark on this tournament. Uh, they got three points Uh, In in Group C, obviously Costa Rica, um, pretty weak team that they got across the line over, but um, I just think it's fantastic. The colour, the passion, African football is so fantastic. It adds so much to every World Cup event and I've enjoyed watching Zambia make their
3: debut at the event. And Rob, we spent so much of the men's World Cup in Qatar speaking about Morocco. The women are maybe a little bit further behind in their development than their men's side, but they've still made some significant progress, some baby steps in this one. They're also on World Cup debut the first Arabic nation to be represented at a Women's World Cup. And they had a night to forget first up at Amy Park going down... And the first player wearing a hijab in, uh, in a World Cup match as well. I read an article about that too. There you go. They had a night to forget going down 6-0 to Germany first up, but turned it around in Adelaide. Ibtisam Dradi uh, scored the game's only goal in the win against South Korea.
1: Mm. A
3: couple of other firsts.
1: Um, of course, uh, the Republic of Ireland on debut. Their first point. Um, in, in a World Cup uh, match, um, and and credit Ed, you did mention, Alan Stajcich off the top. Um, but uh, even though they were were well and truly uh, uh, or had the rug pulled out from them under them by by Norway, uh, that win against uh, New Zealand was it was a a real credit to them, and uh, and good to see the, the Southeast Asian uh, footballing. Uh, uh, wave continues so 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 uh, my, my just general yeah, sense of this Philippine, is that, that, that there's philippines no philippines but in
2: new zealand was absolutely humongous that was
1: massive yeah, it was epic
2: that was so, so
1: there's no team no team disgraced themselves there were a couple of heavy losses we saw you know the the, the well, there was no on. 19 uh, nil
2: like uh, usa or 17 nil whatever it was
1: I think it was yeah, thirteen nil, um, yeah, but yeah, but against Thailand, yeah, but so so we're seeing, you know, that teams on their day can can get a result, it's, but but as you know only too well, it's all about uh, uh, pulling together uh, a, a, a string of games and making maintaining that form. Anyone
3: can be can be uh, uh, outstanding on their day, but um, you've got to pack up. And we'll have a bigger discussion around what we think might happen on Friday at the end of the group stage. But before we get there, Reg, are Japan our first favourites?
2: Well, they are for me. I mean, they haven't conceded a goal. I know that they've probably had two of the weaker teams in their in their group um, in terms of um, the, the table. But they've looked unbelievably incredible, haven't they? They dispatched of Spain in epic
1: but it's, you 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 follow um, the the women's game very very closely, and um, I think they've made the last two under twenties yes, World Cup yeah. finals against Spain one one loss one. Um, they've they've uh, got a a growing professional league in Japan, which uh, which does yeah, throw well up um, a lot of quality. Um,
2: and look, you know, you've only got to watch them play. Um, you know, the, the DNA of that team, the, the sequence of passing, you know, there's, they don't need any long no. balls. They just pass through the lines and they are very good at it. And yeah. they've been spectacular. No. Look, Zambia and Costa Rica, two weaker teams that they dined out on, but they no. really destroyed Spain. And um, really? I, I just think that they, um, they could go all the way. Uh, they really, really could. They are seasoned performers.
1: One in two thousand yeah, and eleven. But they've yeah, also yeah.
2: been deep in tournaments before. You know, I really do mm-hmm. like the look of them. They're going about their business in a typically Japanese fashion. There's not a lot of fanfare about what they do. And um, and the only the only sort of hype that's around the team is that like the men, they clean the dressing room.
1: Yeah, exactly, and leave a little thank you note when they when they leave. Yeah, I even felt a bit guilty um, when we were at uh, uh, um, at the Matilda's game the other night. Um, you brought along some scarves for us, and uh, and I did even lean down and pick up the plastic wrapper and took it with me uh, after I left. I thought I, I can't make everybody else do it, but at least I'll do my little bit. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, let's wrap it up, uh, Derek. Uh, by uh, you've taken uh, the week off the bench, mate. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, he'll be back next week. Uh, um, he does sort of waver. I think he, he, if as much as he doesn't like the, the, the English men's side, he does have a, a soft spot for the lionesses. So, uh, be interesting to he'll see be, how they uh, go later on tonight. He would have Rock cooked some
2: well. mag- magic uh, sort of meal with the Hoyt herbs and spices. He would have done all of that, mm-hmm. uh, no doubt about it. And um, he'll be watching mm-hmm. England and China
3: tonight, won't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, Edge. Uh later in the week we'll regroup I for look Stoppage Time.
3: To
1: it. M- Willem, well done, mate. Thank you,
3: Jim. Good show. Matilda's up and about.
1: No good. Absolutely. So thanks uh, for joining us again. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you're just surfing the wave of uh Cup will copy euphoria the same way that we are and uh, you uh, tune into the Stoppage Time special edition later on in the week. Please subscribe to the show. To box to box, stoppage time, and offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, tweet us at box to box NTS if you've got, uh, or X, I think it's called now. Follow us on X. Uh, what is that bloke be doing? The artist formerly known as Twitter. Oh, I don't know. Elon Musk, Feeding companies. It's good to be the king. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop. And we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world Game.